some of you traveled, maybe not that far, but some distance to be here, be surrounded by your friends and your family, uh, and join the blessing of being together on a Thanksgiving season and on a Thanksgiving weekend. If you are visiting with us, um, thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to worship with us. Uh, We wish you uh, blessed travels on your return to wherever your home might be. They say, of course, that this is one of the uh, uh, most difficult traveling weekends of the entire year, whether it's by airplane or car. Uh, freeways are full. You have to get a head start. People are um, either in a rush to get back or stuffed full of pie and not as conscious of the way they're driving. And everyone is a little worse for the wear on the road, at the airports, bus stations, train stations. Because truth be told, traveling is tiring. Amen? It used to be back in the day, that we would look forward, my family and I, myself, would really look forward to getting on a flight and going someplace. But nowadays, you got to basically strip down a couple of times to get through all the detectors and all, pat it down. You've done the, re- the one where you, you take a flash of you. Have you seen that one? It's so stressful. you got to take everything out. Things keep beeping. It's, traveling can be very stressful. And then when you finally make it onto the plane, it's tiny, it's small. You're crawling over people. Your bag won't fit in the overhead compartment. Traveling is tiring. It wears you out. It also um, uh, dehydrates you. you gotta, you know, you got to keep drinking some water. you got to wiggle your toes. Tiring, it, it, traveling is very tiring. And, and um, it makes you very hungry, Right? So if you're driving by car, if you got here by car, if you're driving by car, you got to have a, you know, a nice little cooler stock full of goodies uh, for the road. Traveling is very tiring. So if you're here and you're going to be returning tomorrow, uh, we wish you uh, uh, calm, relaxed travels. But we know it's going to be tough. Um, I want to talk to you about a special traveler uh, and, um, and how tired he was when he got to the end of his journey. Uh, if you would please... Open your Bibles if you brought one. If you didn't, there's one in the pew right in front of you. We are in the Old Testament. We're in 1 Kings chapter 17. We're in 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to Old Testament today. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, we find, uh, we find a rather famous traveler. His name is Elijah. You'll recognize the name. One of the most significant and uh, most notorious or maybe not notorious, well-known prophets of the Old Testament, we find Elijah going on a trip. Not the kind of trip that you and I would take for leisure uh, or for vacation or to visit family. Uh, Elijah is going on a trip of necessity, one that is uh, predicated by the situation that he finds himself in. So please, your Bibles, book of 1 Kings, Old Testament, chapter 17, and we pick up the story in verse 7. Verse 7 says, Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain. And then the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah, and he says, go. Go at once to Zarephath and stay there. The word of God tells us that Elijah was somebody who could hear direct instructions from God. Uh, In the story of the Old Testament, Elijah is literally introduced to us just a few verses before this. And Elijah's a fascinating character study because he, he just appears in a flash almost out of nowhere 
and just turns the world upside down. He literally just shows up out of nowhere and turns the world upside down uh, by his prophetic utterances, by his behavior, and by the way God interacts with us through him. So if you're familiar with Elijah and you're familiar with the story, you'll know that in the few verses before that, Elijah pops up, shows up, and makes a prophecy that, that's, that's a message from God predicting what's going to take place. He makes a prophetic statement saying that there was going to be no rain. No rain until Elijah's, by Elijah's words, says there will be no rain until I say so. I like this guy. He shows up, and, and, and what he did, if you read the few, first few verses, is uh, uh, at God's direction. But he shows up, he makes his way right to the White House, or the King's Palace, however you want to see it. He goes right to the, 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 the top man, and he says, look here, there will be no rain until I say so. And then he splits. And the Bible tells us in the first few verses that just like that, the skies dried up. There was no rain, not a drop of water. There was a famine, a drought in the land. Meanwhile, Elijah disappears, and in the first few verses of this chapter, he's been uh, living by a brook, uh, you know, like a, like a stream, a natural flowing stream. He's been living there, and the Bible tells us, uh, if you read uh, here uh, in chapter 17, uh, verse uh, from 1 through, 1 through 6, that essentially Elijah was living out in nature, being taken care of by the running brook of water and by some birds that would bring him food, the ravens would bring him food. And the Bible says that essentially he stayed there, but sometime, which we read in verse 7, sometimes later the brook dried up because when there's no rain, there's no water that fills the earth and no natural water that springs forth. And and the brook dried up. And then God speaks to him again and he says, the word of the Lord came to uh, Elijah and he says, go at once. Uh, And now you're probably not familiar uh, with where he's staying and, and what's going on. But essentially, here's the deal. Here's the backdrop. The people of God, the people of God, as is something that happens from time to time, uh, walked away from God. The people of God, God's own people, kind of ignored him. And they ignored him for a season, and, and, and it brought a lot of bad stuff. They got themselves into difficult positions, and God essentially had to get their attention, and he was a little upset. And he was a little hurt. And God said to Elijah, go and tell the people that there's going to be no more rain. God was setting in motion a great plan to not just reveal himself, but to actually call his people back to him. And the Bible tells us that Elijah just does what God says. That's what's unique about this this prophet. He, He does what God says, and he goes and he says, there's not going to be a rain, and then the rain disappears, and there's no water, and there's a great drought, and pretty soon everyone starts to feel it, and things get bad when there's no water, things can't grow, uh, the crops dry up, when there's no water, the animals dehydrate, and then, and then they die, and when the animals die and the crops dry up, the food sources disappear, and then people are in trouble. And the Bible tells us that uh, Elijah had been hiding out by this brook during this, the start of this drought. As the situation began to worsen for the people of God, Elijah was in seclusion, hiding out, out in the wilderness. But when the brook dried up, the Bible says here that God tells him, I want you to go to this city. Now, 
uh, Elijah was part of, of, of the Hebrews, the Israelites, the people of God. But, but God sends him not to his own people. He sends him to the neighboring uh, nation. Um, see, Elijah was dealing with the king. And, and you, won't, you may not recognize the king's name, but you'll recognize the king's wife's name. Her name was Jezebel. Does that name ring a bell? Jezebel, ring a bell. Um, and, 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 and Elijah had gone up and presented this, this, uh, this proclamation of, of, of prophecy. But the reason, one of the reasons the people of Israel were in such shambles emotionally, financially, and spiritually was because of the influence of the first lady, Jezebel. Jezebel was a pretty wicked person, the Bible tells us. Pretty evil-spirited, you know, like, like, like a woman. Pretty evil-spirited. And, she, um, and she, she did a lot of bad things. Je- the Jezebel. Jezebel. And, and Jezebel had gotten her husband to kind of do things her way. And getting the king to do things her way had caused a lot of problems for the people. And so when... Elijah showed up in the palace and made this proclamation, and then literally the, the skies dried up. Jezebel was very, very upset. And you know, because you've read the story, you know how this kind of plays out. Eventually, Jezebel has a, a personal vendetta. She's going to take Elijah out. That's what she wants to do. But what's interesting about our story at this point when we read it is that when, when, when God speaks to Elijah, when the brook dries up, guess where he sends him? He sends him to Jezebel's hometown. He sends him, when, when the water dries up, he doesn't go, now look, go to, I got this, I got some, I got some Adventists hanging out, they're hiding out, they're going to help you. Oh, oh no, oh, no, look, there's a, the address over there. You know, he actually sends Elijah to, to, to um, enemy territory, if you will. He sends him to Jezebel's hometown. He sends him to hostile territory. That's what's kind of interesting about the story. Who knows? Uh, there might be people there who are related to her and would see him because by the time we're catching up in the story, Elijah's pretty much public enemy number one. They feel he's responsible. If he did say, until I say so, there won't be any water. So uh, Elijah's got like a, a you know, um, he's a marked man. So the Bible tells us that God speaks to him. We're going to read the story really fast and we'll kind of get into it. God tells him, go because I have commanded a widow there to supply you with food. So he goes, the Bible says, verse 10, and when he came to the town gate, there was a widow there who was gathering sticks, and he called out to her, and he said, would you please bring me a little water in a jar so that I might have a drink? Uh, before we kind of unpack this, let's kind of go through the story. So Elijah's been hanging out for quite some time, probably several months, over out in nature by himself in seclusion, being uh, uh, fed by water from a stream and birds, literal birds, bringing him food. And he's been living out independent of, 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 of any social systems. But when the brook dries up, God says, I want you to go to this particular place because I have something. And, 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 and Elijah goes. And when he gets there, he finds this widow. God tells him, I prepared a widow who's going to feed you. And when he gets there, just pick up the story. Uh, he sees the widow. She's gathering sticks. And he says, can you please give me a little water to drink? I'm thirsty. Like I said, you know, traveling makes you thirsty. That's why when you get on the road, you get that 44-ouncer of whatever your favorite drink is at, 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 at 7-Eleven because it makes you thirsty. Um, and, and Elijah's thirsty, so he says, excuse me, excuse me, could you please, can I get a drink? 
Nowadays, we live in a different kind of world where nobody's hanging out in their front porch and weary travelers aren't walking by. But it was common hospitality in their day and age to extend water to travelers. Maybe even a place to kind of rest, relax, and, and, and wash up. But in this particular situation, she's not really at home. She's out there gathering sticks, the Bible tells us. And he says to her, can, can I please get a drink of water? The Bible says that... Uh, she turns and she's going to get it. What this tells us about this woman this is that she was uh, familiar with the customs of hospitality. You know, she had been raised to be hospitable and, and though she's kind of doing some work, this, this traveler comes through and he says, can you please uh, help me out? And she's going to go get some water. But then Elijah does something a little odd. The Bible says, verse 11, please read with me. He says, as she was going to get it, he calls out, and 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 since you're up, can you uh, also bring me, please, a piece of bread? Now, that's my favorite move. During Thanksgiving, I use this move all the time. You, you know how this works, right? Everybody's eating. You're sitting there. You're stuffed. And you're all looking at each other, wondering who's going to get up first. That's my favorite move. And then when somebody gets up to the kitchen, you go, hey, you going to the kitchen? Yeah. Can you bring me some pie? You ever done that? Since you're up, can you please bring me some pie? I like that move. And then I just follow that up with thanks because I'm just assuming they're going to do it. You go, can you give me some pie? Thanks. You just, if you throw the thanks in there, they can't say no because you already said, I'm giving away my moves here. But just so you know, that's how you do it. You wait, you watch. And when somebody gets up, you say, oh, can you give me some pie? Thanks. And then, bam, it's a done deal. This, I got it from Elijah. See, he goes, can you give me some water? She's like, okay, I'll get you some water. And then as she's going, he goes, now, hold on a second. Since you're up and, and while you're at it, can I get a little bread too? <laughs> Can I get some bread, please? Thanks. Thanks. I like that. It's just biblical, so if, don't get mad at me. It's biblical. If we do it at Pollock, and I'm like, can you get me? It's biblical. All right? Elijah says, can I get some bread, please? But she responds a little bit different. Check it out. Verse 12. I know you're looking at each other because somebody in your family tries to do that same move, right? I've seen you. You're like, yeah, I got you now. Um, verse 12. Here's what the woman says. When he says, can I get some bread? She says, as surely as your Lord, the Lord your God lives, she says, I don't have any bread. I ain't got any bread. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we can eat it and die. That's, that's, you never read it like that, but that's how it goes. Because see, that, when a woman's trying to make her case, you know, was a little drama into it, right? There's a little drama into it. And, and if you notice it, if you read it, when he asks for water, she says, okay. She doesn't actually, she goes, okay, I'll go get some water. But as she's going, he says, can, you, can I get some bread too? And she says, okay, look here. Water, fine. By the way, you guys remember there's a drought, right? So there's a premium on water. But her hospitable nature meant that she was going to go get a little bit of water from someplace. But then Elijah says, and can I get some bread can I get some cake? That's actually, can I get some cake too? And she says, now, hold on a minute. I was trying to be nice to you. I'm going to get some water for you. But now you've done cross the line. You've gone too far. That's like saying, because I tried it, it didn't work out for me. I said, can I, can I get some pie? They're like, okay, fine. But can you put some whipped cream on top of that, please? That, that's too far. You can't ask for that. Even if you say thanks. You ain't going to get it. 
And Elijah says, just, just some bread, please. And she says, I don't have any bread. You know the story, right? You've heard the story? You ever heard of the story? She says, I don't have any bread. And she says, not only, look, I don't have any, sorry, I can't give to you. Like you would to somebody who asks you for money in the street. You go, sorry, I don't have, I just have, I don't have any cash. Whatever your line is, oh, sorry, I just give, whatever your line is, she says, I don't have any. But she doesn't just say, look, I don't have any. She says, not only do I not have any bread for you, I only have a little bit of flour, a handful, and a little bit of oil, a little oil. And she says, and I'm going home to make my last meal for me and for my son, and we're going to eat our last meal, and we're going to die. And you dare ask me for some food? The nerve of you. The nerve. And Elijah says, okay, 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 hold on a minute. <laughs> Take it easy. He says, don't be afraid. It's all right. Go home. Do as you have said. Hey, relax, relax, he says. Go home. Yeah, you, fine. Look, just read, okay? Go home. Yeah, so you're going to make your last meal. You're going to die. Cool. But first, make me a cake. Bring it for me to eat. And then from whatever's left over, you go ahead and make yourself your last meal and eat it, you and your son, and you can, you can die, whatever. You read that? I don't know if you caught that before. He says, go home. Do as you've said. You're planning to die, cool, whatever. He says, but first, make a small cake for me uh, from what you have and bring it to me. Then you can make something for yourself. Now, just picture yourself in the scene for a moment, okay? You're just watching. You're, you're, you're picking up sticks. You're just kind of minding your own business. You've probably seen something like this go down, whether last Thursday at home when somebody, when, you know, because when family gets together, there's bound to be some sparks, Right? You've probably seen this happen or a store. You mind your own business. You're, you're, you're getting your own piece of pie, and then something goes down. So just pretend you're there. You're watching. You see this traveler. You see the woman. He says, can I get some water? She's like, okay, cool. And then he says, yeah, by the way, since you're up, can I get some bread too? And she turns around, and she says, how dare you? Don't you know that there's been a drought in the land? Nobody's got food, and all I got is this little bit, and I'm going to eat it. And we're dying here. We're dying. You dare ask me. And then you're watching, you're listening, you go, she's going to give it to him now. And he says, okay, cool, but first, make me some cake. Then you can do whatever you want. What would you think? What would you think about this traveler? By the way, he's a foreigner. He's not, he's not like he's in Israel right now. He's, on, he's, he's not from here. And he says, but first, make me a cake. And then you can have some for yourself, your son. Do as you have planned. The Bible tells us that he literally just says, first, make something for me. Now, that's kind of contrary to what we would teach our kids. We would say, now, son, you know, let everyone else get some before you get some. But it kind of does fit into the way we think. Not the way we talk, but the way we think. When you were at Thanksgiving this past weekend, and they rolled out the desserts, you were thinking to yourself, I better get myself with a piece of your favorite before everyone else gets it. And you didn't say it out loud, and you may not have acted on it, but you thought about it. When they rolled out the uh, tofurkey, because uh, you're a vegetarian, well, or the real turkey, you thought to yourself, nobody better get your favorite piece, whatever it was, you know, a thigh, whatever. whatever. You, you looked at it, and then you were watching everybody else make sure. You didn't say it, but you thought, that you should get first crack at it. 
so that you could get your favorite. That's the way we think. Now, we've, we've been socialized to sort of pretend, no, no, it's okay, you go first. We do that at church. But I bet at home this past Thursday when you and your family, you and your brother, you and your sister, you guys got into it over something, over who was going to get what they wanted. And so what we see taking place here is, is, is kind of a contradiction because the man of God seems to be acting selfishly because he says, okay, I heard your sob story. You're going to die. This is your last, whatever. But make me some cake first since you're up. Thanks. Make me some cake. But upon closer examination, something very different is actually happening here. Let's look back at the story, okay? Catch this little nugget. When God speaks to Elijah and says, Elijah, I want you to go there, God says, because I have commanded a widow there to supply you with food. Here's what that tells us, okay? Just, just so you understand. God had, in some way, shape, or form, already told her that she was going to be called upon to do this. That's, those are God's words. There's a widow there that I have, this past tense, commanded to supply you with food. That means in the process of her life, before she ever met Elijah, before ever this stranger came through her door, as she was struggling with life, as she was trying to make ends meet, trying to take care of her son, no water, no, 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 no produce, and she's a widow, which tells us a couple of things. It tells us that she lost her husband. She has a young child in the house, which means that she's probably young herself and lost her husband in some unexpected way. Being a widow meant that a lot of her value, her possession, her ability to be upwardly mobile was gone because it's a patriarchal society and times that they're living in. That means she's known struggles. She knows what hard knocks is. And during that time of like of wrestling and trying to make ends meet and working just to survive, God comes to her and he says, I have a job for you. have something for you to do. Why am I telling you this? Because it's simple. Because you might connect yourself and your story with someone in this. And it just might be possible that you, like her, are struggling, even during this season of plenty and Thanksgiving and all that stuff, with some significant issues. God had come to her and, 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 and in some way, shape, or form, maybe in a dream, maybe in a moment of inspiration and in, in a feeling of her thoughts, let her know that she had a purpose and that he was going to call upon her to serve it. Those are God's words. I've commanded her to supply you with food. So when Elijah shows up and he says, I want some water, it's possible that she thought to herself, is this it? Maybe when a previous traveler came by and asked for something, she may have thought to herself, is this what I, No. And when Elijah says, can you please get me some food, she breaks up with a sob story. Probably the same way she may have answered to anyone that comes through. Look, I don't have anything to give you. I don't have much myself. I don't have anything to give you. And, and right now, I'm literally down to my last, my last handful of flour. And then Elijah says, I got it. But first, go and make me a cake. Listen, she says, I don't have any bread. Can you give me some bread? I don't have any bread. And you might be thinking to yourself, what's that got to do with me? Well, you know what? You can put in there anything, 
any word that represents the thing that you're missing. See, God, I believe, just like her, uh, has given you and I a purpose, a specific calling, some sense of mission. And, and, and you might be thinking to yourself, I'm not quite so sure, but I believe it's true. The Bible tells us that essentially God has put us all into his ultimate plan. And we are all accounted for in God's great provision. The different roles that we are meant to live uh, are up to us to fulfill, but God has already called them to be. God has already ordained them to be. And you might actually recognize this moment when your circumstances meet with what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. And it isn't until that one moment that the reality finally sets in. And Elijah says to her, I know what's going on. This is your last flower and your last oil, and I know you're planning to die, but first, make me some cake. She says, I don't have any bread. I don't have any money, pastor. I don't have any time. I don't have any resources. I don't have any family. Whatever it is that God wants, I don't have any. She didn't have any bread, literally. She only had literally a handful of flour. Very few of us have actually lived to that point, to that place, where we're actually holding on to our last little bit of food. This afternoon, a handful of us are going to the San Diego Rescue Mission to help uh, pitch in and serve food because some of those people actually do live like that from day to day. But very few of us have actually experienced that. And if you have, you know the urgency and, and, and the hopelessness that comes with that statement. This is all I got. And still, Elijah says, but first, make me a cake. She says, I don't have any bread. She says, this is all I got, and we're going to go home and just eat it and die. Eat it and die. Because in her, in her hopelessness, despite the fact that God had given her a purpose and a mission, she was only, she was only aware of the obvious, her need, what she was missing. She was only aware of herself, despite the fact that God had given her an other-focused purpose, she was constantly obsessed with herself. Now, I know you're thinking, but she was taking care of her son. True, true, she was taking care of her son. But understand, if you look closely, she's not, she doesn't say, I'm going to make this and give it to my son, and I will not eat. She said, we're going to eat it together, and we're both going to die. Yes, she wanted to take care of her son, but she was really just obsessed with what she did not have. And that's kind of like us, right? You probably sat down for Thanksgiving dinner, and you made your kids say, what are you thankful for? And they're like, I don't know. And then they asked you, what are you thankful for? And you're like, uh, good weather and, because uh... no matter how much we have, we're always concerned with what we don't have. However blessed we are, we're always obsessing with the blessing that we wish we could have. Whatever that is, a new ability, a new job, or a new house, a new car, a new 55-inch LED flat-screen television. Did I give that one away? We're just obsessed about that. And she's, she's having this moment where Elijah, by his request is jarring her to pay attention. And she says, I don't have any bread. I don't have anything. This is all I got. And Elijah says, okay, okay, I understand. Don't be afraid. 
I understand this is all you have. But first, go make me a cake. Then from the leftovers, make something for yourself. See, leftovers in this context takes on a very different meaning. Here's kind of how it works. You saw me make the leftovers for the kids, right? This is kind of how it works. We take what, the best stuff that's cooked, and then we put the leftovers together. When the guests come over, we don't normally serve leftovers. And some of us like leftovers, but some of us don't. I don't know if you're like me. Uh, we were raised in a family where you're like, you can't let any food go to waste because, you know, little kids are dying in Africa, right? That's the one. We said, little kids are dying in Africa. So you're at a restaurant, and here in North America, they serve you like this, you know, this plate of food. You can't eat it all. But when they say, would you like a box for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just take a box. You put it in the box. But once you get home, you know it doesn't taste as good once you're home, right? So you put it in the fridge. And you're like, I'm going to eat it. I'm going to eat it. And then a month later, somebody says, what's this? <laughs> Does that ever happen to you? And you look at it. Oh, you open it. Oh, what's it? Because we don't really like leftovers. Leftovers are secondary. We want first dibs. We want the first slice. We want the, the first piece. We don't like leftovers. Leftovers are, are for somebody else. For those who don't have any, and they'll get our leftovers. That's, a, that's the way we function. When we think about this, the season of giving, when we think about Christmas, we say, okay, let me get what I need first for me and my family, and then whatever's got left over, I'll donate that. When we think about God, when we think about church, when we think about coming to give our worship, unfortunately, we think the same way. God, I'm going to use my time this week to do the things that whatever I want, and on Saturday, I'll give you a little bit of my energy that's left over from my tiresome week. And I'll put up with Pastor Milton's sermon till about maybe 12.30. And after that, that's all I can give you. Because all I have is this little bit of flour and this little bit of food. And you don't understand how messed up my life is. And I didn't got no more time for you, God. And you want me to go donate time at the rescue center? You want me to go donate money? You don't understand. I'm scraping by as it is. And the prophet comes up and he says, I understand. I do. But you were called for a purpose. And your purpose was to put him first. Elijah is a symbol of God in this moment. It sounds selfish, but Elijah is saying, God ordained this for you. You know that. And when he says that, he actually doesn't say it. You know, he just says, okay, okay, go get me. He doesn't actually say it. But the moment his words come out, but make me some bread first, then for yourself from what's left over, it's like something rocks through her system. It's like she's heard this from God, kind of the same way you may have been hearing a call from God to do something significant for him until the circumstances line up. And when it happens, when you hear the pastor say, it's time to give, and you go, oh, God's been telling me that. Don't wait. Don't bat an eye. People will know. Don't give it away. Pretend you didn't hear that. But something rocked her soul. And Elijah says, I know what you're going through. God knows but you were ordained. You were set aside. You were commissioned for something very powerful. Leftovers here, God says, are for you. Leftovers are for you. 
God first, and from the leftovers, make something for yourself. The Bible tells us that he literally said, first make me a small cake, and then from what's left over, make something for you and your son. You know what, friends? Some of us think that God doesn't know what you're dealing with. I mean, we've really got ourselves fooled. We really think God's not aware of what you've been up to this week, what you're struggling with, what real gritty challenges you've been facing. Not just the ones your friends know about, but, but, but the ones that are down deep, you know, inside the heart of you. The ones that even you don't want to want look at. You know, the ones that when you look in the mirror, it makes you want to look away. But God knows. And he understands. And that's why he says, don't be afraid. I see you. I know. Trust me. Elijah says, I know. I know. I know you're in your last handful. And after this, there's nothing left but for to die. I know. I know you're hanging on to the last string of self-dignity here. I know. I know you and your son, you and your husband, you've been going at it, and you think, this is the last straw. God says, I understand. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I have commissioned you for more. But first, you've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. You've been chasing the sticks on your own. You've been trying to fix the situation. You've been trying to work this angle and that angle. And now you're down to your last bit. God says, now I can finally get your attention. But you're going to have to trust me. First, make me a cake. Bring me the first piece. Bring me the first. And he says to her, make me a cake. And then she has this moment. This is happening out by the, by the city gate. This is not at her house. He's not like knocking on her. He didn't come inside and sit at her table and say, I'm waiting. You know Why? Because she has to make this choice. It's an echo of the choice that God has given her. And, and, and you know what? He's been giving her this choice for a long time now. This opportunity to exercise a faith and trust in God has been hers for a while now. Just like it has been for you and me. And so he says, go and choose. Make this choice. And, and she walks away. She walks away and she goes back to her house. Picture the scene, okay, in, in your mind's eye. She's walking away. She has the words of Elijah. And she gets back home with a little bit of sticks. And she goes to her cupboard, opens it up. And there's that little last little puff of flour. And, and, and then there's her son. Now, this is a moment, friends, family. This is, this is a moment that you need to look at and you need to pay attention. She looks at the flower and then her son. And he looks at her with those eyes. We don't really know how young he was, but, but he probably knows what's going on, right? He probably has seen the portions get smaller and smaller. He's seen mama's crying eyes and, and her worry. He knows what's going on. And then she has to look at him, and then she begins to make a cake. And then he wonders, is this our last one? He sees her pour out the last of the flour and the last of the oil and began to knead it. 
And then she has to make a choice. Give this to my son or give it to that stranger. Can you believe that? What would you do? See, what would you do? Give this to my son, knowing it will be his last meal. I mean, we've kind of glossed over. You heard the story probably. But, but put yourself in the moment there, having to make a choice between giving your son his last piece of bread, knowing that no one else in the community is going to take care of him because he's a widow's son. As a widow, she had very little value, and neither did her son. Or to take it to the prophet. The Bible tells us, Elijah says to her before she walks away, go, make this bread for me, bring it to me, then make something for yourself because this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, that the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until God sends rain down again. He says, I know I'm asking a lot of you, but know this, that God has promised to provide for you every single day of every single month, of every single year, if you trust him. He will not run dry. And the promise is just as good and present for you and me as it was for her. God has been making the same statement since time eternal. Trust me. Trust me. And I will be your everything. Trust me, God says, and I shall take care of all your needs. Trust me, seek ye first the kingdom of God. God is not interested in your leftovers because your leftovers are a symbol of your self-centered wastefulness. With your leftovers, God will continue to bless people, but he can't bless you. When you just throw in whatever's left over, God will multiply that for the sake of others, but you're really just holding out on the blessing for yourself. She had this moment, this choice. She goes back, she breaks this bread, she hears, and heard the promise just like you've heard it from me today, and then she looks at her son and she says, what will I do with this? She could have eaten it, given her son some, and brought back some crumbs from Elijah. And Elijah would have lived, but she would have died. That's how it works. Waste and eat and consume only for yourself, and in the end, your well will always run dry. Your jar will empty out. But God says, if you trust me first, the leftovers from that will last forever. If you trust me first, the jar of flour will not be used up. The oil will not run dry. See, leftovers take on a completely different meaning when the first goes to God. When the first goes to God, when the first offering of our time, interest, intention goes to God, everything that's left over gets multiplied. It's not just a little bit. You've heard this promise time and time again. God says, bring, you know, those tithes and offerings to the storehouse and see if I will not pour open the, 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 the floodgates of heaven to bless you. But it's not about financial blessings in this moment. It's about the exercise of trust in God with your relationships, with your life's work, with your purposes, with your intentions. God wants to bless all of those things.
He wants, he wants your jar of flour to continue to give productiveness. He wants your, your, your jar of oil to continue to uh, bring life and essence and, and congruousness to your, to your dreams and your goals and your visions. But God has to be first. If you and I choose God first, leftovers take on this amazing quality. And the Bible says that she went away, did as Elijah had told her, and there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. God never, the book of Isaiah says, God will never disappoint you. God's word is always true. And the only way that you're ever going to find that out is if you test him at his word to put him first. Some of you don't want to do that. I'm in the boat too. We're like, okay, God, I know this is what you asked for, but I want to see what you could do with this. I know you've asked for this, but let me throw you a few leftovers. And if you do good with that, God, then maybe I'll consider doing something more significant. Let me throw you a dollar in there, see what you do with that. Then I might give you a tenth. But the only person you're robbing is you and me. God wants to bless us with our leftovers. He wants us to choose him first. And then... The explosion of blessings follow. So for whatever you got going on, whatever little handful of flour you got left, and maybe it's your patience, maybe it's, maybe it's love for your wife, maybe it's hope for your children, whatever little oil you got in there, you know, the last of your checking account, whatever it is, you will have a choice to trust what God has already embedded down deep in your heart, your sense of purpose, your sense of mission. And I believe that God will keep his word and your, your jar will not run dry if you choose him first.